0: passion, innovation, X-Factor, enthusiasm, and leadership in education. That's what the Pixel Classroom Podcast is all about. I'm your host, Ryan Reed, business and technology teacher. You can listen to the Pixel Classroom Podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and even now on Amazon Podcasts. You can even copy the RSS feed right to your computer for easy listening. And if you like what you hear, please think of subscribing to the podcast and please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome to episode 30 for October 2020. Today on the Pixel Classroom podcast, I have an awesome guest today. No, really, seriously, I do. He is currently a high school teacher, an instructional coach, a marathoner, a Spartan, a tough mutter, that's mutter, and a theme park junkie, even bigger than I think my own brother in law, who, you know, as you know, I love you, Michael, but anyhow, I think this guy's a little bit bigger on theme parks. His book, Adrenaline Rush, is currently available for purchase. That is just a fantastic book. I know I've been using it a lot, especially for his QR break ins, which we will talk about it a little bit later. He is also the host of his own weekly podcast, Me in the Car, which I have to say is always great to listen to. And I would like to welcome the one and only John Meehan to the Pixel Classroom Podcast. Hi, John, how you doing?
1: Awesome, Brian. Thank you for having me, brother. I appreciate the time today.
0: Well, thank you so much. Well, you know, I know I gave you quite an introduction here, but why don't you uh, share a little bit about your background your career and career in education? Because it's, it's been quite the career, especially even just me reading your book. <laughs>
1: You know, it's funny. I, I I always pretend to be flattered. Like, oh, you guys have said so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No, I can't possibly follow that great introduction. And Every speaker does that, but that's a load of horse feathers because we write those introductions for ourselves. We post them up on our website, and people just grab them wholesale. And it's like, oh, I can't believe that someone says those things. You said those things, Chump, um, about myself. But yeah, that's it. I'm an instructional coach. I'm an English teacher. I'm um, a writer, uh, author. Uh, I mean, I think I heard that everyone's a writer, but like. When you get a book published, now you're an author too. So I got that going for me, which is great. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I teach English uh, and I teach uh, as a high school instructional coach. I've been in the teaching thing for, this is I think year 11 for me. It's COVID years. So like, it's, it's kind of like dog years, you know, each year is like seven. Um, but I've done this uh, for, you know, a little over a decade. Uh, I was a career changer from social media and marketing. I did not know the first thing about teaching, but I did know a lot about engaging audiences and branding and stuff like that. So when I made the switch to the classroom, it was a natural move to say, if I can get people excited to give me money, I bet I can get people excited to give me attention. And um, for students, it's an easier ask to say, pay attention to Shakespeare than pay me 50 bucks to go to this event. So um, <laughs> I, it kind of worked. Uh, so I've been doing that. Uh, I, I was, like I said, involved with um, a bunch of different stuff through the New Teacher Project, um, through the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I've been very fortunate and hustling and working. So I, I do a lot of trying to figure out what makes... Uh, people want to work harder and excited to work harder and then taking the motivational psychology of that stuff and putting it in play in my classroom where I get to try everything because I'm a hybrid and then I figure out what works and doesn't work in my little sandbox and then work with teachers through my building and then in speaking and consulting helping people do that sort of thing with theirs.
0: Wow. That's actually pretty amazing. I mean, I, I was also a career changer. I went out of, you know, health and then also was in food and this is year 10 for me. So you got a year on me. Yeah, man. Just
1: about I, a year. I also had more hair than me though. So I think we're we're at a race.
0: Uh, yeah. But I think about 10 years ago, we both had more hair. So I think. It's, uh, <laughs> I know yeah. I did. I, I, my, my son's timeline yeah, picture yeah. <laughs> showed up. He was two in the picture. I said, Whoa, look, look at all that hair on the front end of my head.
1: That's a, that was a bunch of different. Uh, that looks like a, I showed show my students pictures of that. And like, that Photoshop? like, no, that, uh, that, you, you'll get there. Right. <laughs> I
0: know. I've shown kids my high school photos. and They go, whoa, whoa, look at all that hair. I mean, you're just as thin. I'm like, well, thank you. I lost 23 pounds this year. But uh-huh. anyhow, it's like, yeah, I had hair too once upon
1: a time. Hey, so. All right.
0: <laughs> I got, and like I said, so throw that out to Jen. It's all—it's all thanks to Jen. It's a lot of commitment and pumpkin challenge. But anyhow, so John, you know, you have a lot of passions using technology and gaming with your students. I mean, especially around theme parks and marathon events. So, how how do you bring these passions to students in class, especially when there's a lot of focus on gamification and PBL or project-based learning and creativity use in the classroom? I mean, how did it really come about? I mean, you've talked about. You're working on how you switch from marketing and finances, but you know, how did that actually go? And then how does that work later on? I mean, you're an English teacher and you're an instructional coach. Just how does that all work out
1: actually? Yeah, it was really cool. So, um, it was funny. My principal saw my class and I was doing something cool with Twitter and I was just making it up. Like, I think the big secret about so much of this stuff is like we're all just building the plane as we fly it. Right. Everyone's afraid, like, Oh, you have to have all the answers. I'm like, no, I'm just not afraid to fail. Um, and that's the question I asked everybody: like, what would you do if you weren't afraid to fail? And I love my job. I love my career. I love the work that I've chosen. But like, this is my second or third uh, place that I'm teaching at. And if this for whatever reason was not to be there tomorrow, I'd be sad. But I would teach somewhere else. I would do more work. Um, I, I always say that my my resume is my Twitter feed. Like I don't have a cover letter. And unfortunately, or fortunately, like. I think that the the time has passed us by for a lot of us because we keep doing what we always did, so we get what we always got. So I mean, I'm not afraid to to roll the dice on that. Um, I deal with crippling anxiety and depression. I mean, like that's that's a real thing too, but like in my professional sphere,'m I'm, I'm actually pretty plugged in. I'm like, uh, I'll teach somewhere else. I'll do something else. I'm not afraid to build a few castles and watch them fall apart and say, Okay, let's take the bricks and repurpose it. Um, and I think that was great. So I was doing that in my classroom. and uh, my, my, my students had set up classroom specific Twitter accounts. And they were talking about a book, Huck Finn. And we used hashtags and like, you know, trended uh, in the class. So what we could do is like keep track of what we were noticing as threads of the book were going. And my my principal came up to me one day and he says, um, you know, if I had a whole stack of teachers like you, we'd have a line out the door. Uh, I teach in a private school. And he's like, and we have a line out the door for people applying to be here. So where do you see your career going? I said, I'll be honest. I want to change the world. And he's like, cool. Want to be an instructional coach? I'm like, that sounds amazing. And he walked down the hallway and I looked at my phone and I said Siri what is an instructional coach <laughs> I have no idea but like that's that's the rule of like you know yes and like you know in Hollywood right you know if they say do you know how to pogo stick you know how to ride a unicycle you say yes and then you spend the next hour learning how to pogo stick before you right. get that call um so when they asked you know the opportunity opened up I, like I said I'm not afraid to fail in the professional space uh I told my principal you know If you want something done, ask a busy person. I'm a very busy person. I'm a hustler. I move quickly. I'm very grateful that I have a lot of energy and maybe it's, it's the anxiety is like a superpower, but I'm constantly tinkering and playing with and trying to find fun ways to. So I don't relegate myself to pulling things from the classroom to make my classroom better. Rather I'm just pulling inspiration from things that I think are awesome. Like, I don't know. I spent a ton of money on a Peloton bike. So how do I make that work in my classroom? Like, and not the peloton itself because i don't have time for students to get up and mount up and then ride blah, blah blah but like all of the motivational psychology that makes you want to spend time or money or effort in you know i talk about theme parks i talk about mud runs I talk about escape rooms like what we're doing is we're we're commodifying like the, the the pressure we're commodifying stress and people are really excited about giving more money for a thing that's intentionally freaking them out so how do I get kids to be excited about getting things freaked out in the classroom? They don't have to, you know, jump under barbed wire and big pits. They don't have to be locked up in a room with zombies um, or on scary roller coasters, but the psychology of why we love those things, why we seek those things, why we, you know, get joy and pleasure and excitement and satisfaction from conquering those things. If I could tap into that same spirit in my classroom, students like are on fire for learning. And it's, it's a very easy ask. We're not asking them to, you know, build castles physically we're asking them to just use their brains um and then they get to feel smart and get to feel celebrated and uh i I, you know i say over and over again we don't really teach content we teach kids so like figuring out who the kids are figuring out what makes them excited they love Fortnite, so spend two hours playing Fortnite and come back in and say hey guys what if we had like power-ups in our class oh yeah they're so in for it or they really loved you know this television program i was like could we pull something inspired by tiger king into our class you know dumb stupid stuff that makes them feel like Hey, I don't take this stuff um, you know, so seriously that I can't uh, be flexible with it. I don't take myself so seriously. I take learning really seriously, but there's a lot of ways to learn. And if you learn better by making this feel like a video game, hell yeah, I'm all in for that stuff.
0: Well, that makes plenty of sense because like, you know, like during the summer here, you know, my son and I, I introduced him to the Girl series on CW. I actually brought that up because we, multi we, we always made power-up cards. And I said, you know what, I want you guys to look yep. at watermarks. So I led, look at the symbols. We talked about Creative Commons. And I said, well, what better way to do it? And actually characters bossed off a national company granted Marvel versus DC, the old debate, but I had a show. I'm like, you had to create creative, you know, cards on this. And I had some that did some really original pieces. I had a couple say, you know what? I, I don't like, I didn't really watch the show. I'm not a big comics guy, but they said, there's this member of the injustice society. Can I make them instead? I said, please do. I honestly, I want to see what you make based off and they did some really cool stuff. And I've always done that. Um, when I came to where I'm currently am, uh, I was putting together, you know, looking at analyzing a product. So I actually looked over ice cream, Ben and Jerry's, uh, bluebell, Mayfield, and somebody had made a basic HyperDoc Before HyperDocs were the cool rage in classrooms. And it was there, but I said, this is great. I, you know, I started modifying it, but I had the kids, especially this year in the remote learning, we were talking about ice cream and I said, all right, they're going to do this. And I said, okay, when it's all done, once you're finished with this HyperDoc, and I've, I, I've updated the last couple of years. And I said, you know, I want you to write a blog about this. And I'm like, well, what do we write in the blog, guys? Is let's say you're a person who has never tried this ice cream. I want you to actually think what made you want to say you want to try this. I had a couple kids that were saying, well, you know, I have this type of food allergy. So I want to try out this dairy-free air. It's like, you know, believe it or not, I've never had been in Jerry's and I've never heard of this flavor. And here's the reasons why I want to try it. it. It was really a very amazing thing. But they kind of invested a lot of wonder into that. And I think I, that as kind of they- well.
1: I totally agree. And like I think that if you can get a child to experience a sense of awe with what stands before them, Disney World is a great example of this. Like you come in and there's so much light and so much movement and so much sensory overload, right? Um, like everything is exciting, everything is wonderful. And like you have a sense of awe, but awe inspires wonder. And when you have a sense of, gee, where do I go? How can I do this? How can I fit this all in one day or one trip? If awe inspires wonder, wonder inspires curiosity. And in my classroom then it's like, okay, if I can get a kid to raise their eyebrow, I'll call on that kid. Doesn't matter whether they're raising it because they're confused or they're excited or they're frustrated or they're like intrigued. If I can get that little bit of a wiggle of an eyebrow, I know I got that kid. And if all inspires that wonder, wonder inspires the curiosity. Then in my class, it's are you curious? Huh? If only we had. A lesson about that that, oh wait, we do. If only we had ten <laughs> minutes more to go on that. You know, like and that's what good video games do, good escape rooms, is you have this sense of progress and mounting accomplishment and you're go, go, go. But can you beat that clock? And it's like, mehan, can I get two more minutes on this? If you just give me two more minutes, I'm gonna get there. And I'm like, You can. Tomorrow. We're done today. And they're like, Oh, you know, like that near miss, that near win is like that silver medalist syndrome of Michaela Moroni face, like, oh, if I just had one more swing of that bat, one more roll of those dice, can I just get one more if I can get your kid excited about coming to school with that same level of commitment, how much different will tomorrow's class be? Cause they want to show up and they're realizing that the day is fundamentally different since they showed up. And I think that like, and I take it very serious for a second, like the research psychology about um, after the wake of like the Columbine high school shooting in the late nineties, uh, that students need adults in the building who are rooting for them and cheering for them and seeing them as people, and not just you're going through the motions like meet through a grinder because you feel invisible in your own school. And if you're talking about bullying or self-harm, suicidal ideations, you're talking about race or gender or sexuality, students who are dealing with like separations or loss or like deaths in their own families, they start to feel like what they do doesn't matter. And the machine of school is just humming along with and without them. So they're like meat through a grinder. Then you take these troubled kids from these rough backgrounds or these places that they have had real trauma that's gone unaddressed and it only further perpetuates that idea. So when I started my teaching, I was in um, you know achievement gap high schools. And it's not achievement gaps, it's opportunity gaps. Like it's, they're dealing with different home environments than I've ever dealt with. So checking my own privilege and recognizing that is not to be a savior. Like that's not my job. Like it's to create an environment where no one needs saving because this place is fundamentally different that you, Ryan, showed up today. Like a team is really happy that you, Ryan, showed up today because these kids are playing hours of Minecraft and hours of Pokemon and hours of Fortnite and hours of League of Legends and hours of everything else when they go home, why can't I get them to get blown up one time in uh, a classroom activity? Right. And then say, oh man, can I get one more go with this? Because they get one more math problem wrong and they're like, I'm not a math person, I quit. But they'll go home and die for four hours while they're playing Mario Kart. And then watch videos of other people playing Mario Kart so they can learn how to get better. So how does school fail when these st- things exist outside of school that almost succeed in spite of that failure? And I think it makes sense. Students start to feel invisible and they say, if I can't be in control of stuff, then I'm going to control it either in not productive ways or not healthy ways. And my goal is if I give a little in the classroom with that, you know, give and take the competitive edge, I get a lot. Because I'm trying to design a classroom that's safe and welcoming to every student, every age, gender, background, sexuality, race, ethnicity, um, financial situation. Like ableism is uncool. So we really try to make it, um, you know, playful and, and, and team based for everybody.
0: Right. I, I think it's a very important piece. Like I said, one thing when I was working at JX, I mean, that was inner city. I went from working at a private parochial school. Where, yes, not, not, you know, everybody's life was perfect there either. But then I went to the other side of the tracks. And all of a sudden, I had kids that were in situations I never even thought of, never had to situate. And I was also sometimes in those situations with them. I mean, I went from a school where, oh, yeah, we'll have our lockdown drills, whatever, tornado drills. And then I would go to a school where, I'm sorry, that wasn't a drill. That really happened. There was a shooting two blocks away. We were in lockdown. You know, and those kids that were so, oh, I'm going to act up and throw things at my classmate, all of a sudden say, like, oh, okay, lights are on. We're quiet. It was gone. And that's one thing that worked with a lot of my STEAM problems was is like, I get those kids interested in there. And I had some that where they liked where they could go to that pretend or areas, so forth. So,
1: yeah, and I agree. Like, and I was, you know, a working title for my book was like the idea, of like creating a class that was an escape room. Like the whole class itself was an escape from all of the crazy that life can offer us because... We deal with that craziness every second of every day. And then we come into school and then we tell the students the main idea of this book is important. Write this down. The character's name on page 27 is blah, blah, blah. And you're going to need this in the real world. I'm like, you just ask that child to check their hopes, their dreams, their fears, their aspirations, their struggles with their own identity and all of that stuff to come in and learn about the great Gatsby. Man, screw you. Like, And I don't ever want to tell that phrase to my students, like the real world. This is just every bit of their real world outside of the classroom as it is in it. So how can I get them to see that what we're doing in our classroom, not just studying old dead white guys from generations past, but we're talking about what it means to be a person who fights for social justice in an election year. What does it mean to, you know, separate real and fake news fact from fiction? What does it mean to stand up for the rights of people who are being oppressed it's talking about black lives matter and talking about ableism and, and mental health issues and realize that like you have the power to change the world. I really do say it all. I'm like, we really do have the power to change the world, but it starts with rethinking Instead of what English in school has been, and it moves to, well, what could it be if I just got out of my own way, cut all the red tape and said, what do I want the kid to remember in five years of my class? What do I want them to be able to think and do and feel and experience? And if you start with that feeling in mind, that's like your sourdough starter for like a really great recipe. So I I, I use that every day and I, I, it's, it's, it's very easy to go to work excited because that is makes for excited kids and it really does catch a lot of fires
0: so. and, and it's funny thing too because one of my kids you know they, they were telling me too is like you know i like coming to your class not only because i learned something but you always seem to be excited about things even when you're not having a great day like i had a situation with a new program i was working for testing you know by the end of the day i just kind of looked at guys well, oh guys it was a massive failure multiple lens, and i even told them the next day like we're gonna do this i think we've worked it out and it did. It worked. But a couple of the kids even told me, oh, it's not your fault. You know, you tried. you're just trying to do things. And I said, you know, give me a reflection. I said, well, let's try to get those quizzes and tests up today. I know you have to give them, but, and I don't have a problem giving them because I love your class, but we need to clean that up because I think that caused more problems than it really did for telling me if I if I knew what I was listening
1: to. But if you live in beta like that, that's what could be like, I play a lot of Madden and I play a lot of Mario Kart and I play a lot of these games on the the internet that like, there are constantly patches coming through. My iPhone updates four times a week. Right. Like, But to tell a kid you have one shot at it or it's over, it's like, well, what if I ask them after every unit, hey, guys, what did we do well collectively? What could we do to improve this? If you had another swing of that bat, how would you change the game for yourself or for your classmates? So, like, and it sounds like a cop-out, but, like, my kids are grading themselves. And mm. they're telling me straight up, hand. I deserve a B this week. Here's why. I think grades are stupid. I think they're meaningless. I think they're arbitrary. And I think they were created to... Hold people in places to treat us like meat. I think it's awful, but we still deal with schools need these sorts of things. So I get it. So I tell them straight up, guys, I hate giving grades, not because I'm that cool teacher, but because if I were to be run over by a bus or abducted by aliens tomorrow, you need the skills that you're having in my class. My opinion doesn't mean anything to any college counselor hereafter. So show them what you can do. Tell me why you think you've earned a B or an A or a C. And I have students who are what I find more harsh on themselves than i would be because then they realize like i say over and over if you focus on the grade the learning will suffer but if you focus on the learning the grade naturally comes as a consequence it's like if you focus on the skill of getting better of course you're going to level up versus well i have to be on the varsity team or else i'm I'm a nobody like no just just flip your thinking and again that self-motivated micro credentialing that micro badging that micro progression you start to see yourself stepping towards the goal rather than uh, just being micromanaged by a teacher who's constantly the bad guy. Um, I hate that. I didn't sign up to be that. I don't want to be that. And my kids don't respond well to it. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, and, and I absolutely agree. And that's the reason why I did my units to begin with. And I do them on Flipgrid. I said, And some said, like, well, why can't I type this? Like, I feel it's more more natural if you just tell me. I know you sometimes you don't like the spot. But, like, here I'm giving you an option to where please tell me. You know, I'm like, and I'll even tell like, no, this is moderated. I'm only going to see it and you're going to hear versus sometimes I've done like, no, please open that up. Cause sometimes some kids will agree or they are like, no, 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 no. I completely disagree. I actually found that real here. Maybe you didn't do it because of X, Y, and Z. And I, I just find that much more. And I still do it. And I mean, I have a lot of teachers. We gather that up because sometimes we're just like, you know, if the kids can self, you know, you know, evaluate themselves. I feel it's much more cleaner. I feel it's also, they learn something more. And I also feel like it also helps as a teacher too, because I've said many times that despite what we are in high, I mean, you're in hybrid, I'm in hybrid. We're trying to go back regular. And still got several kids that are going to be full remote probably until whenever. But I think it's just, you know, it, 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 I think it's better when it isn't because then it's more than a grade. And I tell the kids, like, you're more than a grade. Doesn't mean you don't do the work. But I said, the one thing you got to learn, guys, is you can't expect things and not do the work. And I said, it's just like you working on, you know, you talk to me about how much you're passionate about building this thing over in um, welding. You still got to do the work. It's not, the metal's not going to magically cut itself, weld it, sand itself. I'm That's like, great. you have to do the work. <laughs> That's
1: great. What I love about the welding analogy, Ryan, is that if a child was doing some TIG welding or some MIG welding, and then they did a thing that it looked like a sponge rather than a solid weld, they wouldn't get a C and get to move on to the next weld. They would be asked to do it again. And that's a good game. It's like, if you did it right, congratulations, you get to work on the next level, which is a little bit harder. If you did it wrong, you drop another quarter in the machine, you waste another hour on that level, and you go and you go and you go. And I think that that is where traditional school falls short, is we expect every child learns the same way at the same pace. But like way back to Piaget and John Dewey, we know that that mm. is not true. We know that from Maria Montessori. Like the the carrots and sticks don't work. We know that from like the Daniel Pink research and the Carol Dweck research. So like, and I'm now I'm just I'm just name dropping education philosophy. But like. There is, my, not, your,
0: I think you were reading my dissertation research up. for the last eight years there, John. You're like, not just making it up, right? No, I mean, you're not. I'm, I'm <laughs> saying, like, I absolutely actually know what you're talking about.
1: I think That's it. Like, so people look at me like, oh, you're the Legos guy. I'm like, you can go kick rocks and flip flops. I know so much about this stuff because I put the work in. I just put it with a little bit of a panache and a smile on my face. And then you think it's like fun and games. Do you know how much serious work goes into fun and games? for multi-million dollar research about how to get kids to buy Legos because they want to have them this size, this shape, this like, so steal that research, man, put that in your classroom. There's so much you could do.
0: Yeah, and, that, and that's exactly it. So, you know, here, and this goes into the everything else. But, I mean, you've perfectly said about it, you know, working the themes, making it explode up because, like I said, it's what you take with you. But how did, you know, a writer in rush actually come around? You were just telling me it was like almost an escape room. I will meet, and, you know, until the book was announced. I, I, you know, I've heard your name circulate through Twitterverse. I've seen some of your awesome stuff. Say so like, why can't I just do what John does? I mean, seriously, he's like, he's doing the business stuff that I want to do. And I know we both have similar backgrounds, but I just, you know, You know, I didn't check out how your journey came about and the amazing loads of projects for your school. So how did, you know, how did that really go into that and the book shaping up?
1: Yeah, it's wild. So, uh, kismet or, or, or dumb luck or karma or something smiling on me from the heavens. Um, (laughs) I, I had a video go viral right before the book, um, was announced or right as the book was announced and you can't time viral videos. If you would, if you could, you would time there every week. Right. Um, but I had a video, I was doing a, a training, a very simple exercise. And I said, look, when I lead trainings in small places, you know, schools or classrooms, I was like, just giving a variety and a choice and a good video game level, which is try it. And if you get it right, keep trying it. Cause now you get harder questions. If you get it wrong, try it again. That's a very simple concept. So I took a bunch of plastic Easter eggs and inside of those plastic Easter eggs, I took up like a worksheet and cut it into strips. And I said, uh, uh we'll divide it in teams. Okay. Sit at different desks. Uh, and I was leaving a teacher training on this, and I was like, send one representative up, grab an egg, take it back to, back to your desk group, open it up, and you'll have a problem in there. Maybe it's problem 14 or problem 26. Work as a team to solve that problem when I sheet a paper. When you think you have it, lock it back up. No texting and driving, right? Can't solve on the on the go. So then you take it, and you drop it back off, and you grab a new egg, rinse and repeat. How many eggs can you solve in two minutes, in three minutes? Uh, but because, like I said, ableism is uncool, I don't want it to be a relay race where they're just you know sprinting and grabbing. right. Thing. The questions are different difficulties. So maybe if you had question twenty-six, it might take you two or three shots at getting that question right because it's harder. But question fourteen might be a little bit easier. So at the end of the challenge, the big reveal, there is a hidden point value ascribed to each of those things, like like a video game, like you know, a, like, a game of um, like *Price Is Right*. It just right. big reveal. Right which is nice then because, okay, you got five questions, correct? I got seven questions, correct? But it turns out my seven questions were easy questions and yours were five harder questions. So in the end, you might pick up 30 points and I might pick up 16 points. And it's dumb and it's arbitrary. And I said over and over again, like, whose line is it anyway? Where the games are made up and the points don't, don't matter. matter. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you wind up doing is for five minutes solid, every single kid is working because they want to see if their team can quote win by getting the most points. Now, what are they doing to get those points? They're solving problems of increasing difficulty. Maybe when they take an egg back, it says, you get to draw two eggs next time. All right, now it's a bonus power. They run up and they're excited now to solve for two eggs. Or you have a chance now to lose uh, points on this one. No, no points on that one. Oh, darn it. And they come back and they put that egg back in there to kind of, you know, throw a banana peel out for somebody else to trip over that same thing. Dumb, playful, uh, just, just a, a, and like I said, I push content out for forever. So who knows why it hit, but it was right time, right, t- right place, right around the Easter time because uh, the eggs were available uh, at the grocery stores and such. And uh, then I went to bed that night, woke up the next morning, and it had like 10,000 views. I was like, well, I think we're on to something here. Uh, <laughs> I had to work on <laughs> the book uh, behind the scenes. So really quickly, I put together a, a blog post about it on my website, which had really just launched like maybe six months prior. Um, and this is that overnight success story that's like 10 years in the making, right? Like, this right. is what I've been doing every day in my class since my first day making it up because I didn't know how to engage students. So I was just doing like carnival-type activities in the classroom. And some of them were very light, very almost insultingly low level taxonomy like I would give the chance for students to solve answers and then they'd come up and play a round of angry birds where they try to shoot knock down a, a tower just a way to get kids excited now over years the, the the game-based element is certainly much more advanced more complicated but I never forgot the fact that like I don't know school's hard and sometimes you just need to laugh a little bit in fact that spoonful of sugar can help kids feel engaged and connected to what otherwise might feel scary so I put the video out and then uh I I put the blog post up. We called it the hashtag egg dash challenge. And I said, let's see how many states we can get this trending in. And in a month, it picked up 75,000 views. There was 40 out of 50 states who had people doing it and posting up their shared videos. And um, I learned in media and marketing, like the number one rule about uh, uh, taking pictures is you, you need smiling faces, you need kids, and you need to fill the frame with energy. And if you can do that, this kind of markets itself. So we had Smiling faces from Australia and Belgium and Canada. We wind up trending in uh, like 10 provinces through Canada and like over a dozen countries through the world because play is universal, right? There's something about it that says, oh, I could solve a math problem or an English problem or a science problem because we're not teaching content, we're teaching kids. Seeing young kids get excited, seeing older kids get excited, seeing adults get excited, and then saying, we don't have to take ourselves so freaking seriously, man. That sets the bar nicely for, oh, and by the way, I just wrote a book about all this stuff, and it's coming out this spring. Um, worked out beautifully. I mean, that was that was an overnight success story. Like, like I said, it was 10 years in the making. So over the course of like three months, I wound up picking up maybe five, 10,000 people followed me on Twitter. And it was like, and now you're here. And now they're like, oh, he must know what he's doing. I'm like, nope, still making it up. <laughs> Well,
0: that was one thing, too, because like I said, I had heard of you, but I was reading them, and actually, I was actually planning on doing the Egg Dash Challenge, since Easter was supposed to be so late this year, and of course, COVID happened, but I had everything ready, I said I got a fun thing, because I started using some Boredom Busters from Thing and I was getting closer, yeah. I said, okay, I'm looking forward to it, because I tried doing the clothes spin, and it was okay, and then I tried it with a smaller class, much more success, and then, of course, you know, things happened here, too. But, yeah, it was just like – it got me excited. But, you know, I did – the QR break ones were my big thing. I mean, I was at IdeaCon back at the end of February. You know I was throwing those out there constantly. I was on Coffee with Kenobi. and By the way, that's a great podcast, not just uh, about Star Wars. (laughs) just to throw out a shout out to coffee with Kenobi. But you know, I had a lot of teachers that were like, this looks really cool. I said, you know what? You can even cop a bait. Like I had to do up one right here. I used flippity to do a basic one. So we couldn't do it like I had done before pandemic happened. And they were still loving it. They still loved the game. They loved the QR and it just was working really, really well with them. So it was just amazing. Like I said, it was doing the adrenaline.
1: It was, you know, and I appreciate it. The, the adrenaline rush book was really, I mean, like, like I said, these things catch fire because I push things out over time. And then like, I like to tell everybody, tweet stuff. Get on Twitter, start tweeting, because tweets become blog posts. If people are like, interested in those tweets, you then make them into blog posts. Oh, here's how I did this. Here's a little bit more of the write-up. Here's a little bit more of the template. You probably see it on my Twitter all the time. I say, I made a thing. I don't know what that thing's going to be. I just sort of like, hey, here's a digital deck of playing cards that you can use Google Sheets or Google Slides. I hit the randomizer button, and then it flips a new card every slide. If you can use it in your classroom, go for it. I just post stuff up there. Like I said, yeah, and I
0: saw that. and It was like perfect time. Cause I always have the kids make a board game. And I had two that just jumped on that. Like, I love this. How'd you come up with it? Like talk to Mr. Meehan. He's the one who came up um, with the template. Gonna,
1: <laughs> but I get people me credit for it. I'm like, I don't, I, I think uh, T.S. Eliot says in the American author poet, he says, Med mediocre writers borrow, great writers steal. Like I am stealing everything. <laughs> I'm just stealing it from places you haven't thought to steal it from. Like I'm what? stealing toys, games. I'm not stealing other people's lesson plans. I'm trying to figure out, Oh, Easter eggs, we can play with those, like Peloton, let's play with that.
0: Well, and yesterday I was watching the new supermarket suite, and they were talking about Scrabble eggs, which was, you know, taking certain things, and they were scrambling like in eggs. And I merely yep. just, within two seconds, took up my phone. My wife's looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just came, like, I just did a couple things. I said, I'll play with the rest of this tomorrow, which I did. I sent it over to my division leader. She went through it, and she thought it was absolutely awesome. I said, and I said, it's not very hard. I said, I just replaced the background with a simple Creative Commons clip art. And I just put the terminology up time and we talked about it. and she started having fun with it, but she said, I can see how you do. I said, Well, the one thing is that control D, duplicate, if anybody for Google wonder yeah, what that stands quick. for, is I said one thing I liked about it was I just had a duplicate change letter and it actually randomized it. But I you know, I still had to go back and say, okay, do I have the right amount of letters? Because so one of the one of the clues was this gives you the drop down menu on a mouse. And of course the option is right click. And at one point I said, I have t- I don't I have I have too many C's and no L. Also I said it's right. It said, write I mean, cricket like, at one point.
1: <laughs> but, but, but creativity can come from anywhere. And I think that's it. Like, I don't relegate myself to just education theory. I read a lot of education theory, a lot of education research. And I'm, I'm blessed that my job pays me to learn about learning right. and teaching, while my side hustle pays me to write about teaching and learning. Like, it's a pretty good gig. Um, and like, if you take Captain America, who was once a weakling, you can put him in a super soldier serum, like, he's not going to get weaker, like, over time like a snowball, these ideas kind of pile up on each other. So whether it's egg dash or Scrambles or Scrabble or Fortnite or, you know, whatever it is, you're kind of piecemealing and stitching things. I'm not the first teacher in the world who's done Easter eggs in the classroom, and I don't pretend to be. Okay. I don't pretend to be the first teacher in the world who's done a board of us. I mean, Katie Powell's book is great. Michael Matera's book is outstanding. It was hugely influential in getting me, like, to know that there's a name for this craziness that I'm trying. Dave Burgess's book, and that's before... He even took me on as a as a publishing like agent. That, that was amazing that there were people out there who were trying stuff. But I think a lot of education is you know, I feel that instructional coaching, people come to me as if they need to give themselves permission to do something in the classroom. Like I'm like the Wizard of Oz here. I'm saying, click your heels, Dorothy. It's in you all along. You don't need me for this. You got this. Now go get it.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting because, I mean, an instructional coach, you know, it does feel like you're giving permission to people. And like me, I've had it to where I will step in and I said, it looks like you're trying to help with something. I said, have you tried this? But then it's like, I I try not to, as you know, as I'm always told, like, don't take it over. And I said, I know it's very hard where you just want to show them versus you need to learn it for yourself. Like, if you know how to, oops, my projector is not showing everything else and I got to show four kids online, I'm like, okay. Okay, what's the step okay you're right I go here I look for resolution I click mirror okay I'm good I'm good. they move on I'm like better than me doing it versus I've done everything like you told me stuff six times I go do it I'm like it's still not working and it's like aha I figured out the clue
1: yeah. like right yeah I think that I say in the book too like an instructional coach has to propose never impose because if we impose then naturally people will oppose and so like Don't be that guy who comes in and does it for him. I just got an idea. Take it or leave it. I made a thing. Play with it. Use it any way you want to. Mm -hmm. And those tweets become blog posts. Those blog posts become conference presentations. Those conference presentations become hour and a half long seminars. And those become pillars of chapters of books. And, uh, you know. you just rinse and repeat. So that's what I'm doing.
0: Yep. I mean, I said during the pandemic, I said, I'm going to finally write my book, but I said, it's just pieces for my life, blog posts, everything and updated it. And, you know, maybe we'll see published. But I said, you know, I just started putting things together that were stuff I wanted to talk about. And it's like some of the stuff I've been doing for years. But I wasn't the I, first I, one. You talked about the eggs. I had a teacher I worked with. She did vocabulary words in Easter eggs, but you had to find the suffixes. You know, she put the one words like, what's the suffix? And they had to go find the kids who had the suffixes or the kid had the suffix and he was looking for a word. It wasn't doing like frayer cards. Oh, everybody talks about frayer cards Like easy words. My third grade teacher did frayer cards. She had a printout. And she said, there's your word. You use it in a sentence.
1: What is the,
0: What does it mean draw to you? Pictures, like your definition? And then draw a picture. Yeah. She told me, draw a picture. But it's been around.
1: It's just in oh, yeah. a I mean, different we form. Doing sketch notes in the nineties. It just has a different name. And I and I, I think that's okay though. And I think that's where the QR break in you talked about it. Like what QR break in is for me, is <laughs> I made chili one time and I was having a few, let's say big boy sodas. Um, and I was like, Yeah, let's just try putting this in here. Why not? Um, this is a family friendly podcast, so that's what I'll say is that's that's <laughs> But I was doing a a breakout EDU. Loved it. Thought it was great. Breakout EDU. But I spent like 20 hours putting together a breakout room and we used it in 90 minutes and it was over. And I said, that's not going to work because not every kid had access to every puzzle. They had so much fun with it. They really worked. But I found it um, unwieldy because it had to be at the end of a unit because it had to be a review concept. Right. And it had to be a thing that Everyone had access to every puzzle because otherwise you have some kids doing like a word search in one corner or like a scavenger hunt and other kids are actually doing like complex looking things up in pages of books and writing down numbers of verbs and stuff like that. So I was like, what if we took old school centers and made it into a game because old school centers suck because if I say three, two, one, rotate and your group was done early then you guys were probably talking about the football game or the Kardashians and you're <laughs> off task. You're, you're out of that flow state. And that's, an, you know, two to three minutes every time you're in a station to do no work. Meanwhile, there's another group who I said, three, two, one, rotate. They're barely getting out of the starting blocks, and now they're forced to leave. They have an incomplete task and now their brain is over fixated on I have three incomplete tasks. So I don't know what I'm doing in this classroom and the class ends like that. I was like, well, what if we did it like a video game? Um, like the Legend of Zelda or Mega Man, which boss do you want to beat today? Okay, go for it. When you think you got it, call me over. I'll spot check it. If you're good, you're moving on to another station. If you're not good, I'll tell you right there on the spot. Nope, not yet. Keep working on it. But meanwhile, you'll see the other groups are starting to make some progress. So you hold yourselves and one another accountable. And the beauty as the referee for the game that's made up where the points don't matter is every time you complete a station, the teacher still checks in with you. If a group is racing ahead, Maybe they ask some more clarifying questions. Hey, why did you say what you say here? Can you explain why you use this color instead of that color? And then your, your modular stations could be anything. It could be a flippity. It could be an Ed puzzle. It could be a Flipgrid. It could be, you know, a sketchnote, Google Form, Quizzes, you Kialo. Know, I mean, like any of the texts that you can think of. And you just make it modular, mix and match. You can use that at the start of a unit. In team-based things where we're teaching ourselves and teaching one another, a little bit of Montessori where there's that self-guided element, you still see the micro-credentialing where you see yourself checking off three out of four, four out of four tasks, and that healthy sense of competition where then if you finish earlier than the other teams, you've earned the right to do an enrichment activity where I give you a bag bag of Legos and I say, build for me the great Gatsby, but annotate your creation like Cake Boss, go. And if you can't use real Legos, then build it in Minecraft. Let's go digitally. Like there's so much we can do where it's out of Doug Limon's book, uh, Teach Like a Champion. He says, the reward for correct answers is always harder questions. So you're never doing carrots and sticks or playing for candy, like what's inside the box. Instead, you're motivating people to say, oh, you've leveled up. Can you tackle this next level of work? And that's so insidious, but it's so inspiring. So um, yeah, man, I just, kind of make stuff up
0: (laughs) it works perfect for me so let's shift over since we're in a podcast let's talk about your podcast talk to me in the car which i tend to actually listen to in the car or you talk about going everywhere i actually you know go downstairs work on my perler beads and i've got you talking for 15 minutes when i'm doing it so uh i mean you've been doing it for a while in your car which i think was a lot different i had never heard anybody doing a podcast in the car or or in your case i know you were locked up a couple days so you were kind of like at a stoplight so um so how did that how did that how did you choose your so what, what goes into each episode with that i
1: mean it's a definitely um,
0: interesting platform how you do this
1: it's wild and I, you know people i like i don't i'm really bad at monetizing things like gary vaynerchuk who's like an investment capitalist and he's like an angel investor in uber and he uh like twitter and a bunch of other ones yeah he's like I, you ever I, want to be i've a talked about influence? him
0: many times yeah
1: right so we went to the same high school i wish i could to. we were friends um he's he's <laughs> a few older than me but his kid brother played soccer with my, my brother. And a few months ago, I tweeted about pro wrestling and AJ followed me back. I was like, oh, I have an in with uh, with Gary. Um, <laughs> but uh, he says, if you really want to be an influencer in a space, be comfortable giving away 200% of your content completely for free. Um, because that lets people know that you are for real. And you're not doing it to make money. You're doing it to make a difference. And then if they want the paid version of it, they will drive it happily back to your pillar content. So I use the podcast to do what we're doing right here, Ryan. It's, hey, guys. So here's the thing I'm working on in class. Um, and I have a very long drive in bumper-to-bumper traffic in Washington, D.C., so I could either listen to things and listen to the same music every morning when I come in again and again, or because I'm driving to work as an instructional coach, I can kind of do a brain dump of, hey, this week in coaching, or this was up on Twitter this week, or, hey, it's back to school season, something to keep in mind when you're talking about midterms or parent-teacher conferences, whatever it looks like, and what I'll do is sort of take an aggregate of what my week has been, grabbing stuff up, like filling my sponge up, And then just squeeze it out in the car and be like, hey, it's very low production values. It's me and an iPhone and we're just going to talk. And what I hear from so many teachers is they'll listen to it in the car and feel like they got a long voicemail from me and be like, hey, that's exactly (laughs) what I was working on this week. Thank you so much for it. And it's so stupid because I don't think I make any money on it. So it's like the first thing I think, well, maybe I'll sunset that one and move to other ventures. But time after time, people say, I listened to one podcast about teaching. It's this stupid talk to me in the car because it's no BS. And I find myself talking back to you while you're saying things on the recording, like, yeah. And, and I say that next thing. And they're like, and then I forget we're not actually talking, but uh, (laughs) yeah, I, I think it's good because it lets people know, look, I don't know. It's very extemporaneous. It's very dialogic. It says, here's some BS we got to talk about. I'm not going to use like colorful cuss words, but I am going to be very real. I'm not going to have it highly scripted. I'm not going to have sounders. I'm not going to have advertisements. It's always going to be 100% free. And it just says, this week in instructional coaching, like this week on Twitter, we have to talk about the election. It's coming up. How do we talk about the election in our classes, right? That's a really important thing that teachers can feel that and just give themselves that permission to say, look, it's not, I'm a genius. It's just nice to have a sounding board. So creating that space and then saying, if you disagree, you want to talk further, let's talk on Twitter and hit me up at mehan.edu. And sure enough, that gives me next week's topics where, you know, three people or five people said last week, we missed some runners on the bases. Great. I don't pretend to be an expert in any of this stuff. I just pretend to be a guy who spends a lot of time. Paying attention to it, I tell the kids I have no life and no friends. I just do teaching, really hardcore. So um, whatever, whatever it is to get get you in, let's do it. Um, and I've been very blessed, to, even in the in the shutdown time and the COVID time, to be able to continue it. During COVID, I at the end of last year I switched it from weekly podcasts to daily podcasts um, yep. because there was that much need for it. Um, I've since shifted back to the weeklies because we do hybrid. But I do Mondays remote and then Tuesday through Friday in the building. But I mean we're all building the plane as we fly this year. We're all first year teachers in a pandemic. So it feels good to know that you're not alone and that there are other people who are asking the same kinds of questions. And that helps me, especially in my own depression, my own anxiety, to know that the work I'm doing matters, but it, it really does have a resonance beyond just, you know, my own four walls.
0: Well, and I think that's a great, because people always ask me like, why did you start a podcast? There's plenty of educators. There's plenty of people. There's people that do story. I said, well, you know, there's a voice. And I, and I, and I did get a couple emails. I had one person email me on Twitter. I'm like, thank you for telling me it's not been easy because sometimes I feel like I'm doing everything. I'm supposed to be doing right I get the kids right or I'm doing everything right and then still it feels like the end of the day somebody just smacks me like you're an idiot you're not doing this right and it's like you Whoa. I know you were talking thing I know you were talking with Tara and Tisha Richmond about like oh yeah I'm great you know I'm never depressed. I've dealt with depression for years and you know sometimes it kind of made me feel like that's good to hear it same thing with other people I, I listen to Mike Rowe many times and Mike Rowe actually talks about things that are history and sometimes people talk like you know I have so much knowledge in your head and it's completely useless I'm like but if you listen to his he talks about things you probably wouldn't Ever heard about? I talked about WD forty with the kids, and I they thought that was an incredible story. And I said, "Do you know why it's called WD forty? Do you actually know why it got famous?" And they all looked at me like, "No, no. Why is it called that?" And I told them. And they said, "How do you learn?" I'm like, "Listen to the Rowe. He'll he'll help you." Right. With
1: stuff. And and I think the beauty of all of it is, again, we don't take ourselves so seriously, and I think it's really helped me heal. Um, you know, I, I heard that phrase someone say that um, we either it was one of my counselors, one of my you know I've, I've been counseling uh, for four years, five years. Uh, they said you know, we either transform our traumas or we will transmit them. And uh, I seek every day to be a a better person. I seek every day to be a better teacher and be a better man. Um, And it's hard because I feel like in some ways I'm always going to fall short of that, Mark, because I have really high goals for myself, really, I really want to change the world. Right. But in being honest, there's a Mark Twain quote. He says, if you always tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Like, so I'm just going to be real. And if you don't like it, you know, Best of luck to you, but we're gonna just part ways early because I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. This is my brand. And it's not because I'm making any money on it particularly, it's because I cannot live an inauthentic life. And for the students who I have seen, I'll get emails from students who are like, you always seem so chill and so relaxed and so cool and so casual. I'm like, do you know me? I'm freaking out all the time. <laughs> but That's what I, I think- tell
0: my kids. They, they always look at me like, well, you're so excited. Like you think it was good. The other day I wanted to go sit in my couch and cry and pe- cuddle up to my dog or talk to my wife did. and say, make me feel probably better. I Tyler, do something to make me feel better. Daddy's not having a like, day.
1: I, I got to play. But again, I understand it. Cause like I had a bad day at work. So I want to go play video games. Why? Because today sucked. So I want to unsuck today. So naturally it's like, and now I'm going to eat, 300 oreos or now i'm going to go for a seven mile run like so i want to let my students know there are people in the world who are like you and instagram is fake you know twitter is fake they're all curated versions of the best and greatest hits and like god bless it because it brings me work and it brings me friends and it brings me joy and satisfaction but there's an addictive nature to it that says i have to be the best of these things i'm like nope I'm just me and if you don't like it don't buy my book there's other books out there that's fine we mm. weren't. I mean, we don't have to we don't have to go down those roads
0: so. exactly I think that's a good one and you know speaking of which something we always bring up at the Pixel Classroom podcast and you know a thing is looking for X Factor which is that one true gift No, not the X-Men comic or the old TV shows you ask me.
1: Adamantium clause.
0: exactly uh, I-, I was having a wonderful conversation with <laughs> Jesse Labinsky him and I got before in the podcast we were in like an X Factor talk for 20 minutes like nerd moments anyhow <laughs> um, what do you believe yours is John what is your X Faction how do you try to use that with engaging your students with their x factor
1: so uh i hope you're writing this down i'm, I'm gonna quiz you um oh, okay uh,
0: i better i better write this
1: down. it's a spelling test actually uh there's a <laughs> hungarian american uh researcher on positive psychology you probably heard it, it talked about it on this podcast a lot but um mihai cheeks and mihai um say that one 10 times fast yeah i was about to
0: say it's like i don't even think that i'm mean, like the mihai Mihaly- like
1: Mihaly- Csiks- yeah no it's it, it's spelled like it's michaeli but it's mihai and his last name is cheeks and mihai Um, But he wrote a book called flow um, and it's all about uh, the positive psychology and he's he's like the father of positive psychology and not because like you can do it Ryan like big thumbs up but like what makes our brains addicted to wanting good things and he talks about the flow state and he says Hmm. that um, if a task is too hard um, and you feel underqualified for it you become um, anxious real stress there. If a task is too easy and you're overqualified for it, you feel yourself um, apathetic or bored. Ah. The challenge is like a rubber band to get that stretch right where the threshold of your talent is stretching right up against the threshold of the difficulty. And that's what good video games do. Mihai talks about um, ballroom dancing or basketball or chess as examples of just when you think you have it figured out, it gets a little bit more elevated. That's a a pro-wrestling quote from Roddy Piper. Just when you think you have Mm, the answers. I was about
0: to say, I think I know that quote. I was like, "That's a very familiar.
1: I'm a big guy too. We can talk about wrestling on another podcast, but like, you know, just when you think you have the answers, the game changes the questions. And that's good because that flow state, when you hit the flow state, you're like Neo in the matrix, right? You can move in bullet time and you're like, I know Kung Fu. Like time simultaneously slows down but also speeds up. And like when athletes hit that flow state, Tom Brady's a perfect example. He put up 38 points this weekend. Like Mm -hmm. that guy is 43 years old and he's still playing football at maybe the highest level of his career. How does that happen? Right. And the answer is when you hit that flow state, we forget to eat, we forget to sleep. We forget to take out the trash. We say one more man, one more save, hold on dad. They kind of forget to pee. They forget to go to bed. They forget to do the lesson plan. And that flow state for me, my, my great, I guess my X factor is I hit the flow state very, very quickly. Mm. Um, I, maybe, you know, ADHD is something I, I deal with. I don't even say I struggle with it. Like I embrace the fact that I'm super excited about this podcast for as long as this podcast. Is. So if you told me we were on for 15 minutes or 15 hours, I would have forgotten to eat, sleep or whatever. I, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that stuff. And so it's, it's exciting because when you're there, people say, how did you do all that? And I'm like, I don't know When you're doing. Something you love. You're playing that video game. You look at your phone and like, Oh man, it's, Three o'clock in the morning, I gotta go to bed. Do you wanna watch one more episode of this TV show? You're like, well, I'm hooked, I gotta get there. So if I can create classroom environments that do the same thing for my kids, you're gonna be so hooked on learning today, you're gonna want every last second of this class and you're gonna be so frustrated when it's over and you're gonna say, When do I get to come back? And um, you know, that's out of Dave Burgess's book. If if we were teaching, but students did not have to come to our classes, would we be teaching to an empty room? Like those ticket worthy lessons where you sell a ticket and they had to actually buy a ticket to be in your classroom is your lecture today is your scantron test is your dopey jeopardy reserve game. God bless it. You tried it, but like it's not fun after the first 10 minutes, would they pay $12, $14, $17? And if not, then why are you giving them that lesson? And I get it. It's a lot of work for sure, but I don't have parent teacher phone calls where people are angry at me. I don't have kids copying one another's homework. I don't have kids cutting my class. I have all of the work I do beforehand because I've scouted it out and specked it out. And I always say, well, who's going to hate it? Where's it going to break? I hit that flow state in the design. And I'm like really vibing, really excited and can't wait to share that excitement when they walk in the door. I'm like, guys, we have a banger today. It's going to be awesome. Who doesn't want to be there? Um, It makes it harder to like top it next time. But that's a good problem to have too, is getting people excited to see what's going to come next. And I think that that flow state for me is an X factor that I love. And I try to share with my kids um, because I really do think, and it's it's tacky during the, the pandemic, so I don't say it much, but enthusiasm is just as contagious as anything else. Like you really can catch fire. So I try to, I try to, you know, elicit that for my students.
0: Yeah, and like I said, I do too. It's like I said, you know, guys, I don't like to talk. I'm getting ready to talk about higher education. And I said, no, I just immediately said like, this is probably the longest you'll ever hear me talking a lesson. I don't like it. You know, I don't like to talk. It's why we do all pair Deck and these interactions and crazy stuff and why I stop you to ask questions and that make you kind of look at me like, are you really asking me that question? Like, yes, I am. But my biggest thing is let's get you to why you should be excited about this. You know, it's like, I'm not saying go join the military. I'm not saying go go to your four-year university. I'm like, maybe you just found this out. Maybe you need to know. How do I open a coffee truck? I, I started doing education a while. These little videos that are, I post on Edpuzzle. I went to the real places. I got the real people. And I already saw the difference where the kids were like, well, I think it feels better because you're actually there. You're not grabbing somebody else's video and doing it. And even though some people love, you know, Mark Pollack on uh, his marketing channel. You should check it out. Right, I love right. Mark is fantastic. He's a great guy. But that's an example. He really goes there and does it. Like I was out of the park on my son's Boy Scout trip. And I said, do you know where taxes actually go? Well, here's one of the places. And I explained that I am popped them with a question like, why do you think they have to worry about keeping the parks more together in the winter and a lot of people said well they got to plow and they got to check the plants what if this happens said, exactly that's what i do it's like i even said like i answer open ended questions unless it is like you should know the year this was passed and what our FICA tax is for you know, whatever. Right, right, right. So that, those are those are staples and you need to know that no matter what but it's another thing is where I'll look through those answers and I'll look at those open ends. Like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. That's what I'm looking for. I'm like, no, you're not even closer I think you zoned out completely out of that part of the video. So it's like, that's wrong. Everybody else like, Nope, you're good. But I always have kids like, well, how was I right too? It's like, because it's an open ended question. There's, there's, the only way you're going to get a wrong answer is if really you just like, well, we're talking about this. No, that that's not what we're talking about. In fact, I've talked about that several times. It's like, that is the wrong answer. As
1: as a gentle pushback for both of us, I do realize because I work in the humanities, it's in some ways a little easier, Um, but only just a little easier because like English (laughs) is about, I don't know, why do you think what you think? Can you back that up with facts? If yes, that's rhetoric, right? That's finding text evidence, real news, fake news. I like to think that English has it so easy because we can talk about, and I think that I'm I'm, I'm in a Catholic school and that's my faith tradition, but like, Mm. An English class is a philosophy class. It's, can you make an argument and defend it, like, with sound reasoning? You will be able to tell me that this book actually meant something else. I now want to find where the text bears that out, right? Where the scholarship bears that out. But I also think because I love English, I come to it naturally. That's, like, my first language. If you love math, man, math is, like, the OGs of gamification. Like, Mm -hmm. word problems is total scenario creating. You could have, like, the train coming this way with the smoke going that way and this train going – like – so why not add some zombies into that story and be like, hey, there's a train barreling down and a whole bunch of zombies, and the likelihood of running over the like, if kids care about zombies, make it a train running over zombies story. How much more do kids care about that? And I think that's the type of thing where I say like, give yourself permission to hit that thing with that open ending because teaching isn't open. Like the robots and the cobots can tell us the answer to the main ideas and like the doable yep. stuff. We want to do all of those things that robots can't touch us with, with like empathy and human connection and creativity and wonder and discovery. And if that is what our schools now must do, especially in this time of like COVID and pandemic, then let's give ourselves permission to say easily research facts should always be researched and should always be vetted, but we want you to give the thing the machine can't give. And that means be human.
0: I tell the kids all the time, if they can Google search it, why am I teaching you? Versus, oh, you know, I remember Mr. Reed talking about this a couple of years ago. Let me just double check and see if that's what he was talking about. And, oh, yep, that's what he was talking about. I'm like, that, then they just researched the answer. Like the other day, I thought of a TV show because there was a terminology. I said, what was it? Like, I remember the TV show. What was the terminology? I said, oh, yeah, that's what he's, okay, that's what I'm taking. But that makes more, so at least I've researched it, even though I knew of it. And it's relatable versus, well, what's two plus two? Well, let me pop up my calculator, even though I know it's for, but you
1: know, shout out to my high school teachers who said, you're not going to have a calculator with you at all times. I'm like, ha (laughs) smartphone.
0: I joke with that all the time. And actually, these are a thing. So, you know, we're talking about leadership in the classroom. You perfectly said about your hashtags and the things for English. So what do you look for students and find those leadership opportunities and helping them, you know, and teachers, because you are an instructional coach finding finding that so they're more leaders than followers.
1: Yeah. um, Ultimately I, I mean, on this podcast and when I get on these podcasts, I feel bad because I talk a lot. Like I talk a lot, a lot. Maybe, I feel you know.
0: the same when I'm on somebody else's podcast. Like I feel like I'm dominating the conversations. Like I feel bad. Uh, I
1: mean like, but that's, you know, it sucks to be, you You called me. So that's what you get. <laughs> exactly. Um, but,
0: I'm up here. I know yeah, what's going on in the next 20 minutes.
1: <laughs> I, I have talked in my classroom less this year than I have talked on this podcast in the last hour. Like I just shut up and it's very Socratic. Uh, like, I design a game, I design a simulation, I design an activity, I say in the book like, let's stop being the sage on the stage or the guide on the side. And there's a researcher out of Elon University and he uses the phrase, he goes, why not become the impresario with the scenario? Like, welcome to the world of X. Now it's up to you to figure out your way through it. I'm Jeff Probst on Survivor, Survivor's ready, go. And they're doing all of the work. All I'm doing is blue teams ahead, pick it up red team, you got this, let's go green. And like, that's how my class kind of runs we'll do a Socratic seminar. And I'm just the guy who's connecting dots. Okay, Billy, on the zoom call. And Johnny, you want to respond to that? Mary, what do you have to say? Boom, 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 boom. So like, true leadership in my classroom, the way I see it, the teacher and the learner become invisible that everyone is there on an equal playing field. And I, again, I have a benefit. I teach high school kids, I get it. But I taught in deep in the achievement gap high schools where I had 42 kids in the classroom. And now I work at a private Catholic school that has 16 kids on like a zoom call. It's, 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 there's something empowering of treating people like people and recognizing in them the power to be seen is something that everyone like craves. And for a really long time, the education system has treated students and, and I'm back to education philosophy, but like it's Paulo Freire in the pedagogy they pressed. He talks about the idea that this idea of this banking model where if you do this for me, I will do that for you. He says that doesn't ever create leaders. It creates disempowerment, It creates resentment. And it creates a system whereby there's always an inequity and an imbalance of power. If you want a true radical leadership model, what Ferry suggests, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with it, you know, he's, he's working with indigenous people in Central and South America and um, helping them and uh, children of people who are enslaved learn how to read and become revolutionary. He's like, you listen, you show up, you just say, hey, I'm here as a resource. How can I help? No one is ever working against their own self interest, their own best interest. And if what they want to do is become stronger and become leaders, you don't present them things where you're selling them things. You create situations, scenarios where the stage is set and all they have to do is grab the microphone or stand in front of that spotlight and immediately they're the star of the show. So, like, that means celebrating the hell out of those kids when they step out, when they take those risks. That means sending out a weekly newsletter to my parents uh, the, of the classes and the, and the families that says, hey, Here's 15 things that your kids did this week that killed it, that crushed it. That's that gold star on that thing that the kid gets to go home and says, this matters. And not because Meehan says it matters, but because the gold star in a class means something. That's micro-credentialing. That's badging. That's giving the kids in a pre-COVID time fist bumps and elbow bumps and high fives. And now in a COVID time, it's remote high fives and like fist bumps through the screen and like high foots and like getting them laughing and seeing today is fundamentally different because I showed up. That makes me want to show up tomorrow. Then you deal with all those anxiety and depression issues, the idea of like the self-harm, the suicidal ideations, God forbid, issues like school shooters. And you say, somebody here sees you, someone here believes in you, someone here, like not to be creepy, loves you and loves you for the human that you are in whatever way that you were made. Like there is no mistake about you and there's no mistake in the fact that today is fundamentally different because you showed up today. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks for sharing what you said. Today would have been different were you not here and you and and you win like and and we're one step closer to a better school and a better life so i mean i know that's sort of like squishy but there's a lot of education research that says sometimes a little squishy makes the best structure um of all of it so that's kind of where my head is on it i don't know if that's the right answer but it's it's my answer
0: <laughs> I, I was like saying if that wasn't a mic drop i don't know what was i think you perfectly <laughs> said i'm like i don't need to talk about enthusiasm you showed me the whole podcast what is enthusiastic here john I, this has been an amazing amazing hour i mean it's been long because we've actually been talking and everything else a lot longer is there anything else you would like to, to share with people how can people get a, a hold of you uh, outside you know the me in the car and everything
1: yeah. I, I talk, talk to me in the car uh, every Monday that drops. If I don't get behind on it, like I said, I do fall behind. Talk to me on the car. It's available in uh, whatever podcasts are available and podcasts are always free. So grab it. Um, I'm on Twitter at me uh, That's mehan Like my last name and edu like teaching. Cause I love teaching and I want to get better at it. Um, I have a website. It's adrenaline which is like education with an E educational adrenaline rush. I have templates and resources and like beg, borrow, steal, use everything on there. Any way you want to remix it and change it. like we're not here to make money. We're here to make a difference. And I know that sounds sort of skeevy from somebody who is in the space and, Oh yeah, I have a book too, but like, <laughs> I don't know, it takes, it, it takes money to cut chop down trees. They need to charge some money for something. I wrote a book that's called the adrenaline rush. Um, I do the speaking and consulting at schools and I work with teachers really all over the planet to figure out ways that we can get kids to like care. Um, and if we care, like if we meet them with, level 11 enthusiasm, level 20 enthusiasm. Like they can't help, but want to mirror that just because we're behind a one dimensional screen doesn't mean we have the one dimensional people. Um, and I hope you can feel it when you're there with that person, that charisma is coming through that energy, that love of what you're learning. And like the best part about your job is you teach stuff you love. The hardest part is you teach the kids who don't love it that much yet. So let them see what makes you love it. And then like, you'll jump through hoops of fire, man. So anything I can do to help, I'm all in.
0: All right. This has been great, John. Thank you so much for being on the pixel classroom podcast today. If you want to learn more about the Pixel Classroom Podcast, remember we are on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and Amazon Podcasts. You can also copy the RSS feed right into your device. If you like what you hear, please think of subscribing and please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. Thank you again, listeners, and I will talk to you again later on the Pixel Classroom Podcast.